Take your Bible, open it, please. The Second Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. The inner workings of a fruitful life. The inner workings of a fruitful life. One of the greatest and most meaningful things you can do for me as your pastor is to pray for me. It is a blessing for me that you show up. It is a blessing that you support our church financially. But nothing moves me as much as when somebody says, Pastor, I'm praying for you. Because I know that without that, it would be impossible. I probably would have gotten sidetracked or messed up long ago. So I know prayers are so incredibly important. If the pastor is to lead the church, then what greater satisfaction could the devil have than to get the pastor sidetracked into some false teaching or some immorality or some financial problem? You know, uh, listen, it's all covered under the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's all covered there. And in the last year, two years, we've seen two extremely high-profile pastors nationally fall through terrible things. Attacks come from all sides. And yet, what are some of the ingredients that leads us into having a fruitful life? Well, those, those are their inner workings, okay? In your life, it's the same thing. They're inner workings. What we are on the inside is what drives what we are on the outside. Do we understand that? 2 Thessalonians 3.1, Paul says this. Now, remember, this is a second letter to them, his second letter to them. He wrote 1 Thessalonians, now 2. And it's interesting, here we are in the last chapter, And he says, after these two letters, finally, brethren. Now, it wasn't that he was exhausted. It's just the last thing he wants them to think about is is he's transitioning out of the letters now. Finally, brethren, and look at what he says. Pray for us. Pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course And be glorified even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered, still asking prayer for them, that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. So, what are some of these keys? Okay, well, the, the, the first major thing he wants them to do, he wants them to pray, okay? Specific prayer, verses one and two. And what is the prayer? Well, generally speaking, that the goal of evangelism and discipleship may be achieved. Now, folks, this is what church is all about. And the truth be told, this is what my life is all about. And this is what your life is supposed to be all about. Also, this is what it's supposed to be. Evangelism, discipleship. You might say, well, wait a minute. Aren't those, isn't that for church leadership? Remember, God gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to do what? To equip the saints, to do the work of the ministry, to the edifying, the building up of the body of Christ. All of us are to be involved in this. This is a team effort that needs to be. He says, pray for us. And specifically, the bottom line is so that evangelism and discipleship can be achieved because this is, in fact, the purpose of the local church. And you notice how he phrases this. Finally, brethren, pray for us. And I love this phrase, that the word of the Lord may have free course. What does that mean? It means to proceed quickly and without restraint that everything would get out of the way and the word of God could accomplish its work without getting held up 
by things, okay? You might say that the path would be clear so that we can just go forward and get the business done that God wants done. Why the concern? Why the big thing? What's the big deal about this? Well, can I tell you what the big deal is, friend? It's the plight of the lost. That's what the big deal is. If a person dies without trusting Jesus Christ as Savior, they will be lost forever in a literal hell fire existence. No rest, day nor night, no second chances, never to change. We can't even wrap our minds around the idea of eternity. Your eternal state will be something that will be that way for all of existence. There's no stopping it ever, forever. This will be where you're locked in. Can you think of anything more important than to get the gospel to a lost world? I cannot. There's nothing more important than that. And to get the gospel right, by the way, and we're going to talk some about why that is so important tonight, so please come back. But that the word of God may have free course. Hold your place here and look with me to Romans chapter 1. This was the thing, it was a driver in the Apostle Paul's life. As a matter of fact, in Romans, he went on to say to the extent, and I can't even understand it, or not I understand it, I can't appreciate it like he could, but he, he says in Romans 9 and 10 that he would, if all the Jews, if all the Jews, and he was a Jew, a saved Jew, if all the Jews could just be saved, he would be willing to be lost himself. I'm sorry, I'm not that spiritual. I'm not that spiritual. But this is how gripped this man was. It was a major motivating factor in his life. He was a gospel-driven man. He was a gospel-driven man. And he says in Romans 1.14, he says, I am a debtor. I'm a debtor. You know what a debt is. It's something you need to pay. He says, I am a debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You notice this message of the gospel. What is the gospel? That Jesus, God in the flesh, came, died on the cross, paid for our sins, rose from the grave, and all who put their faith in him and him alone as their savior, he gives them everlasting life. The moment they trust Christ, they pass from death to life. They pass from an eternity in hell to an eternity in heaven. The moment you trust Christ. Is there anything more important to get out than this message? Let me explain this to you. Maybe you're visiting with us today. You've never understood this. You've heard the word gospel probably all your life in one, one situation or another. But what does it mean? The word gospel means good news. It's what it means. Not bad news, not more religion, but a different flavor of religion. No, no, no. This is truly good news because no religion offers good news. Every religion teaches that there are things you have to do, live a certain way, be good, try to be good, go to church, get baptized, or worship your God, whoever that God may be, 
and all these things. And you got to be faithful and you got to be sincere and it's got to last your whole life long. And if you're faithful enough and sincere enough, then maybe, just maybe, you'll make it to whatever, heaven, paradise, nirvana, etc. Not the Bible. All the religions say you need to do this. Christianity says all that needed to be done has been done through the person of Jesus Christ. Let me show this to you. If this hand were to represent you and me and my wallet represents our sin. We're all sinners. We all do things wrong, okay? God loves us. He hates our sin. The Bible tells us heaven is a perfect place. There's no sin there. We have to be sinless to get in and none of us are. That's the truth. And that's not good news. That's bad news. But it's true. Friend, if we die with our sin, we will be lost forever and there are no second chances. No second chances. The wages of sin is death. Now again, religion teaches good works will pay for sin. There's not a verse in the Bible that says good works will pay for sin. Not a verse. That has been man-made. That has been peddled down through the centuries. And it is just not true. So if there's nothing I can do to work this sin off, then how am I going to get my sin taken care of? If I die with it, I'm lost forever. I need help. See, this is a driver that the word of God may have free course. People need to hear this message. We need to be praying about this. We need to be praying for God's protection on our church, okay, and in our lives. Pray for me. Well, there's nothing we can do to save ourselves, but God himself, because of his great love for you and me, took on flesh, and when Jesus went to the cross, he took our sin, all our sin upon himself. He had none of his own. He took our sin upon himself, and he made that payment for us so that we don't have to, and he died, and he rose from the grave victorious, and he says, if you will put your faith in him, if you will trust in him that he made that payment for you, he will give you everlasting life, everlasting life. That's all there is to it. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it puts it this way, for by grace, God's unmerited kindness For by grace are you saved through faith, faith in Christ, what he did for you. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I listen, people get religious on this. They'll say things like, well, you know what? You got to weep and wail and gnash your teeth. You got to get on your knees before God and show remorse and sorrow. And if you're sorry enough, then God will save you. No, friend, listen. Jesus paid the price. That's what he said when he died on the cross. He said, it's finished. Paid in full. There's nothing left for me to do. It's just simply trusting him that he did it for me. And when I do, he gives me everlasting life. When I trust in him that he did it for me, that's faith in him. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Gifts are free, not of works, lest any man should boast. So this word of God getting free course, Paul says, the world needs to hear this. Pray that nothing will hinder the message. Pray for me, he says, and then pray for this. Also, we need to be praying that the word would be glorified. Now, this is interesting. How is the word of God glorified? Well, by people believing it and applying it to life. It works. The Bible works. Now, that's not the only reason we believe the Bible is the word of God, but it is 
after all the other reasons, it is a reason to believe the Bible's the word of God because it works, because lives are transformed, lives are changed. It works in our personal lives. It works in our family situation. It works in our workplace. It works when facing troubles and testings. It works. The Bible works. So we need to pray that the word of God can have free course. And then you notice he also says this, that they would be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. Now, let me just address this today. There are those who are, according to the Bible, the enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, let me say this. Some of them are enemies knowingly. What's scary is there are some who are enemies unknowingly. They are sincere. They are just as sincere in what they believe and teach and preach as we are sincere on what we believe and teach and preach. I want you to get that. I want you to understand that. And yet they are wrong and they are enemies of the cross. Now, what does that mean, an enemy of the cross? Let me tell you what it means. It means that whether they realize it or not, they're saying that what took place on the cross is not sufficient to save us. That's what they're saying. They may even be denying that the one who died on the cross wasn't God the Son, the eternal one. And many of them think that they are serving God through their persecution of those who preach the truth. Listen, we have opposition. I have opposition. And people, a lot of them sincerely think that their opposition of what we stand for, what we believe and what we preach, they think they're being noble and they're on God's side by that. You might say, who could think such a thing? Well, let me take you back to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Can I give you the name of somebody who thought such a thing? His name was Paul. Now, before he was Paul, he was called Saul. And that's exactly where he was at. He was a Jew. He was a dedicated Jew. He was a Pharisee. He was blameless. That doesn't mean he never sinned, but if he sinned, he had a sacrifice for his sin. He did all the things he was supposed to. And man alive, when he heard about this thing about Jesus Christ claiming to be God and claiming to be the Savior, the Messiah, man alive, he, that lit him up and he was on fire to destroy the church. And he talks about it often in the Bible. And yet he was sincere. Yes, he was sincere. Very sincere, but he was sincerely wrong. I believe there are those who think they are doing God's service today, who are standing against the gospel of the grace of God, who when we say salvation is free, you can't earn it, you can't deserve it, Jesus did it all, all you can do is believe. They say, we've got to stop those people from that message, and they'll, they'll start calling our message names. They'll say that, that message of easy believism or that message of greasy grace or all this kind of stuff. Friend, you don't know who you're fighting. You're fighting Jesus himself. I can show you verse after verse that says salvation is free, salvation is a gift. Some verses actually say free gift. Why? Because we can't get it through our heads that all gifts are free, so God has to put it in writing. 1 Timothy 1.12, Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me 
For that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Who was before? (laughs) A blasphemer. He spoke against Jesus is what he's getting at. He was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. And you see, folks, once he trusted Jesus Christ as a Savior, and listen, it took a a one-on-one experience for him on the road to Damascus, confrontation. Once he was saved by the grace of God, once he put his faith in Jesus as a Savior, the tables were turned on him. And can I tell you this? If you are desiring to live for Jesus Christ and you're going to speak up for the Lord, there's going to be obstacles, there's going to be oppositions, there's going to be persecution. Why? Because it is a natural law that movement causes friction. Movement causes friction. If you have no friction in your life, spiritually speaking, chances are you're not moving. You're not moving. If you are always wanting to accommodate people and not cause friction, you'll never be fruitful because those who are trying to be fruitful by the grace of God, they are facing opposition. See, when we decide, okay, I'm going to proclaim this message of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ the Lord, what you've done is you just promoted yourself from the back of the pack to the front lines. It's the soldiers on the front lines who get shot at the most. Listen, it can be painful, but it's the best place to be. It's the best place to be. Number two, we see that this quality to have a, uh, the workings of a fruitful life. Number one, there needs to be specific prayer. Secondly, there needs to be divine power. This is not something we fight this battle in our own strength. We see that back in verse Three, but the Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. There needs to be divine power. Where do we get the ability to achieve the will of God? Well, it comes from our omnipotent, faithful God himself. He never fails. And if you're in the battle, you know that you get stressed, you know get, you get battle fatigue, you know there are things you go through, there are times when, when we may not seriously entertain it, but there are times when we, when we kind of want to quit and just say, you know what, I'm just going to get out of this, I'm, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut and all this. But friend, anything God calls us to do, he will empower us. The Christian life is a life of walking by faith. That's not just Christianese. It isn't Christianese. The truth of it is this, walking by faith. What does faith mean? It means walking, believing. It means walking, trusting. I live my Christian life trusting in the Lord to help me accomplish the work he has for me. That's how all of us have to live our lives, regardless of what part of our Christian lives it is. We need divine power. It comes from our omnipotent, faithful God himself. And the Bible says he never fails. Where does it say that? Well, it says it a lot of places, but we see it right in verse three. The Lord is faithful. What does that mean? It means he never fails. He shall establish you. Look at that. He will keep you from evil. How do you run the race successfully? Listen, I've been a pastor of this church. What is it? It'll be 39 years in June. How do we run the Christian life successfully? We have to lean on him. He will 
he is faithful, he will establish us. He will keep us from evil. But can I tell you this? Borrowing from a great line in my favorite Patch the Pirate tape, Custard's Last Stand, Doc says to, what's the wife's name? Praline. Doc says, you need to be scared a little bit, Praline. Let me tell you, Christian, you need to be scared a little bit because the devil wants to take you down. And let me tell you something, as a pastor, I need to be scared a little bit. And I'm not saying live my life in fear, no, no, okay? God has given us not the spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. I get that, but I respect the devil as a very smart evil individual. I respect him. And we need to be sure we don't stray from the Lord. We need to stay close to him. Why? Because Satan wants to pull us away. And he's very slick and very smart. The Bible says he uses strategies, schemes. That's what schemes are in the Bible, strategies to take us out. So see, he wants to wreck our message and he wants to wreck our lives. And if he can't wreck our message, he'll wreck our life. And if he can't wreck our life, he'll wreck our message. He's going after both. But the Lord is faithful who will establish you and keep you from evil. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you or concerning you that ye both do and will do the things which we command you. Philippians 4.13, what does it say? I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. It isn't I can do all things. That's the world that says such foolishness. If I believe it, I can do it. You're aiming too small, my friend. If, if you've got that silliness of a philosophy for life, you're aiming too small. Here you go. If you believe it, you can do it. Okay, I want you you to jump from here to Saturn and back. Do you really believe that if you believe that, you can do it? If you do, you're a fool. You're a fool. No. When Paul wrote Philippians 4.13, he wasn't saying I'm a superman because I have Jesus. He wasn't saying that. Don't get that. There was a context to what he was written, what he was writing. He was talking about persevering through hardships. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's what he was talking about. And friend, if you're a believer, we can serve the Lord and we can be fruitful. How do I know that? Because Jesus will strengthen us. I can do all things through Christ. So we walk by faith and trusting in him. He will give us the strength to accomplish it. So we see these, again, these inner workings of a fruitful life. One, we need prayer, specific prayer. Secondly, we need divine power. Third, we need proper motivation to accomplish the mission. If we're not motivated, we're not going to do it. I mean, that's just the truth of it, right? That's like me and gardening, right? I don't want to work a garden. I don't want to. I don't want to pull weeds. I don't mind mowing. I like mowing. I like the exercise of that. Okay, it's something I can, I can do it. I can do it quickly. I can get it accomplished. I can get done and look at it and say, ah, it looks nice. I'm good at that. Okay, I, I don't mind that one bit. It's good exercise. But all the other stuff, planting flowers, weeding the garden, all that kind of stuff, I don't want to do it. 
I just don't want to do it. I'm not motivated. Now, will I do it? I will do it if I have to. (laughs) But I'm not motivated. But how much better for someone who loves working in the garden, right? Perfect garden, perfect yard. Don't you hate those people? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Don't any of you drive by our house and judge us. Actually, the yard looks great right now. Just don't get out of your car and look too closely. But from the road, it looks fabulous. Here's the point. Here's the point. And by the way, it won't for long because I have grass that is on sand. I don't think there's any dirt underneath it. To keep it looking great, I'd have to water it basically every day for about five hours. And I live in St. Cloud, so I don't have a well. And I'm certainly not going to use the city water to do it. Why did I tell you that? I'm not sure. Proper motivation. There we go, going back to this. Proper motivation to accomplish the mission. We need proper motivation. The mission is not insignificant. The mission is gigantic. It's the souls of men. So are we motivated? We see that in verse 5. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. There's two motivations here in this verse. The first is this. We need to realize the love of God on a daily basis. This is not talking about our love for him. You notice it's genitive. The love of God. It's God's love for me, not my love for him. Should I have love for him? Absolutely. That should be growing all the time. But you know what? My love for him is not a constant, is it? We fail at times. We get weak at times. But his love for me is 100% all the time forever. I need to realize that. See, this will protect us from wandering. When we are occupied with Christ, we will not be occupied with other things. When I am thinking about, when I am thinking about how awesome he is, what he has done for me, how much love he has for me, what he has provided, the changes he's brought in my life, his blessings, his goodness, their new mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, his love for me. When I look at the cross and realize, doesn't matter what sin I do, it's under the blood of Christ. He did it once and for all. That is a way of gripping an individual. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 5. This will keep us on track. He will establish us and keep us from evil, verse 3. These are not automatic, but areas where we need to cooperate with him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14. It says in verse 14, a lot of us misread verse 14. We read it this way, for my love for Christ constrains us. Not what it says. Same phrase as what we saw in Thessalonians. The love of Christ. His love for me. For the love of Christ constraineth us. Okay? captures us. The origins of this word, it's actually translated to lie sick of, okay? It's the idea of you are, you're infected with this. It's controlling you. This is what controls you. You're under its control, just like I know some of you have had the flu lately. You were under the control of the flu. You couldn't do anything about it. It got you. 
You had to write it out. Well, guess what? The love of God wants to get us. And if we start realizing it, it will keep us from evil. It will establish us. It will strengthen us. These are not automatic. Again, look at it. For the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, that he, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. God, save me. I'm saved. I'm going to spend forever with God. He loved me that much. Oh, gospel song. When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. Wow. Let that sink in. Let that sink in. Truly, if you were the only person on earth, he would have been there for you. That's how much he loves you and me. That should capture us. That should motivate us and preserve us. So what do we see? Realize the love of God on a daily basis basis. Proper motivation, okay? The love of God is one part of that. Another motivation, secondly, we see in our text, looking for the rapture to take place. In verse 5, the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. And by the way, he's talking to this first century church and he says, listen, what does he say? And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and the patient waiting for Christ. The Lord direct your hearts into the patient waiting for Christ. What does that point to? It points to the imminent return of Jesus. And if it's imminent, it's pre-trib. If it's imminent. Otherwise, you don't have to wait for the Lord. Why wouldn't he say the uh, patient waiting for the tribulation period? And then you can look for the rapture. No, no. He says, the patient waiting for Christ. This will protect us from wandering. This is a motivating factor. 2 Corinthians 5, 6 says, therefore we are always confident knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord, wherefore we labor. That whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. The word accepted means well-pleasing. It's not talking about laboring to get to heaven. It's talking about those of us who are saved, that we live godly lives so that when we stand at the judgment seat of Christ before the Lord to be rewarded for our works, that we may be well-pleasing to him. It's a motivator. There are many, many Christians who end up falling by the wayside and who stop serving the Lord. Many of them do. They get bogged down with the issues of life. Some fall into sin. Others get led away with the cares of this world. They get led away with the temporal, not the eternal. They lost their focus. They lost their drive. And they're living like they're lost. The parable of the seed really more appropriately, not so much the sower, but the uh, soils, excuse me. It should be called the parable of the soils, not the parable of the sower. But look with me over to Mark chapter four. Mark chapter four. You know, a lot of people misunderstand this parable. It's one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. And there are people, and most of them are what we would call people who believe in a false gospel or lordship salvation message. And they'll say, well, 
The only one saved in that passage of the parable of the sower, that's what they call it. I think it's better, again, parable of the soil, because the emphasis is on the soil, not the sower. Now, we know the sower is the Lord. We know the seed is the word of God. Jesus said that. He said it, okay? But there are people who say, well, the only one saved there is the last one, because he had this hundredfold fruitfulness. You know, you're not carefully studying that passage. The only one lost is the first one. The other three are saved. The other three are saved. I can prove it to anybody who'll be open. And here's this one in Mark chapter 4. Mark 4 verse 18. And by the way, it says earlier that they received the word with gladness. They received it. They didn't reject it. If you reject it, okay, that's another story. But they received the word. It says here in Mark 4, 18, and these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and lusts of other things, entering in, watch the language, choke the word. See that? That happens to a believer. And it becomes, look at it, it becomes unfruitful. Wait a minute, it becomes unfruitful? So what were you before you were unfruitful? Who can tell me? Fruitful! Sounds like a godly believer to me. No, this is a Demas verse. Demas from 2 Timothy. He was godly. He was going on missionary trips with the Apostle Paul. He was a buddy with him and Luke and Timothy and 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 Paul's team. And yet what happened? He fell in love with the world system and he became unfruitful. And Paul says, Demas has forsaken me having loved this present world. Does that mean he was never saved? No, he was saved. But he got sidetracked. Friend? There's not a one of us in this room, including me, that cannot get sidetracked. I've not finished my race. I've not finished my race. I'm still going. I plan to go until the day I die. Could be today, okay. Could be a long time from now. Hopefully not too long. But you're waiting for Jesus. You know, I know Wally's not here today. Every day we visit, every time we go by to visit him, we go by weekly. Every time. Somewhere in the conversation, the rapture comes up. Can I tell you that ought to be in our conversation? It ought to be in our regular conversation. We should be looking for the Lord and we should be faithful with the days we have because today may be my last day on earth. Am I going to use it for Christ or not? Am I going to use it for Christ or not? So am I properly motivated? So what are some of these inner workings again? Specific prayer, We need to be praying. We need God's divine power to help us accomplish his work. And then we need to be, keep being faithful to the Lord. We need proper motivation to accomplish the mission, the mission, okay? Let's close over in 1 John chapter five. You know, earlier in the message today, I shared with you how you could be saved, how you could know for sure you're going to heaven when you die. There's nothing more important, friend, in all the world than for you to know where you're going when you die. To know right now that you have eternal life and that your sins have been forgiven. Your sins are not forgiven until you trust in Christ. Do we understand that? Jesus paid the price. 
He's offering forgiveness because of what he did on the cross. But it's not put to your account until you put your faith in Christ as your Savior. You must trust in him. And then he forgives you. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, Christ, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. By him all that believe are justified from all things, from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. You need to believe in Christ as your Savior. He will save you. He'll give you eternal life. 1 John 5, 13, God's written guarantee. I'm glad. I like it in writing, don't you? These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know. Do you know it? Do you know it? If you're thinking this, well, you know, I, I hope so. I'm trying. Then there's a very good chance you're not saved. You know why? Because you're looking to yourself as your means of salvation. And if you're looking to yourself, you're basing it on your works. And if you're basing it on your works, you're not basing it on what Christ did on the cross for you. It's all done in Christ. All he's asking you to do is accept it. Will you trust in Christ as your Savior today if you haven't done that? If you trust in him, look what it says. You can know that you have eternal life. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.